0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, here with a Twitter logo on my screen once again. And I can promise you, when Elon Musk, the new king and owner of Twitter, Inc., the social media platform, stops doing wild and crazy things, we'll stop covering it here on Virtual Legality. But I also have to warn you, that may be a long, long time. If you're interested in more on Elon Musk and his purchase of Twitter, the playlist name has once again changed to Elon Musk Buys Twitter. It was tries to purchase. It was versus Twitter. It was a whole host of things. Now it's Elon Musk Buys Twitter. And we have updates of a number of things that have happened between Elon Musk and the Twitter company before he purchased it and other things that he's already done in the last 72 hours or so just to talk about this transition period going on at twitter itself now before we do get into details i want to remind people this is a channel talking about the business and law of software technology video games and more that can't exist without support from viewers and subscribers like you if you're interested in supporting the channel please do like subscribe hit all those fun buttons but also consider supporting us at utreon and patreon enough with the pitch let's talk about some details so Ars Technica put up an article the other day that was very very interesting gave a little bit more of the coloration behind the deal as it came together that we talked about last week, particularly in Hangouts and Headlines, where folks were describing this deal as having been done, and that didn't make much sense to the corporate lawyer in my brain, said it doesn't sound like it's done, what's happening here? And of course, it wasn't actually done until late on Thursday night, despite what you may have heard across the internet, and Ars Technica has a few sources, which we have to take with a grain of salt, a lot of biased folks that are sourcing information like this, but that can give us a little bit more insight. Now, they quote it, mischief and delay, how Musk and Twitter finally sealed the deal. That was, of course, Twitter's response to Elon Musk saying, want to close the deal, and Twitter saying it would only result in more mischief and delay. Sub headline, takeover drama drew in a cast of Wall Street powerhouses and a few meme splainers, which is a fun way to talk about how you use young associates in your big white shoed law firm. Even as his $44 billion buyout came down to the wire, Elon Musk kept Twitter guessing. Normally, lawyers and advisors on each side of a corporate transaction work closely together to ensure a smooth closing. Now, I have to say normally that's probably pretty accurate, but not always. In fact, almost every single closing that I have ever worked on has had 11th hour issues or cold feet or angry people involved that make things a little bit bumpy on the landing. But ideally, the lawyers are working together towards closing something because the lawyers at that point are on the same side in terms of dotting I's, crossing T's, getting documents drafted, and closing up this deal before money can change hands. Here Ars Technica says something else happened. As the clock ticked down towards a court-imposed October 28th deadline for the takeover, Musk's camp mostly worked in isolation, leaving Twitter on the sidelines with their fingers crossed. Now this is interesting, right? Because the two sides have agreed on a merger agreement, but as I've said in virtual legality, and as you have heard me talk about in a host of other deal contexts, that's not the end of this discussion. You've got what amounts to a outline, a skeleton for how these documents have to come together, how you're gonna treat various people after closing, before closing, how the money's gonna get moved around. And Elon Musk essentially took that merger agreement as sacrosanct, said, I'm gonna draft everything. I'm gonna get this money into their hands and we're just going to get it done without ever talking to Twitter by the sounds of things, at least according to Ars Technica. We didn't know we would close on Thursday night until 15 minutes before it happened, said one Twitter advisor. Now, it's also important to understand that even with the inner circle of a company being purchased like Twitter, it is possible that the council is talking between each other and not necessarily going all the way down to the principal level if both sides have basically said, hey, go figure it out, lawyers. Go get it done. Get this money into our uh, stockholders' hands and we'll proceed with the deal. That kind of thing could happen. But at least as described here. This is as tumultuous as the rest of the deal process, which Ars Technica goes into at some length. We've got the whole playlist to check out if you want a lot more of those details. Now, they do talk a little bit about the banking situation here. Those involved in the financing saw little risk in backing Musk. Musk was a known quantity. People are always willing to throw money at those kinds of quantities on Wall Street or Silicon Valley or elsewhere. But that was before debt markets started to seize up later in the summer the banks and Musk would quickly regret their haste as interest rates surged and technology stocks plunged. We talked about this a little bit as well, which is Elon Musk and Twitter sign a deal to purchase the company in a very different environment than exists here in October of 2022. That means Elon Musk is on the hook for a company that's probably overvalued. That means the debt Financiers are on the hook for debt that's probably undervalued given the way the markets are currently operating, and everybody's just kind of in it together in a deal that maybe nobody likes except the big, well-positioned stockholders at Twitter. Instead of finding other equity sharers of the burden here, Elon Musk goes back to his old, well, he finds an unusual mix of investors, including Silicon Valley billionaire Larry Ellison, cryptocurrency exchange, Binance, venture capital firms, Anderson Horowitz and Sequoia Capital, which works in my neck of the woods. He also turned to Middle Eastern backers like QIA, Qatar's Sovereign Wealth Fund, and Saudi Prince al bin Talal bin Abdullah al Saud, which is usually how I pronounce that one. I apologize for butchering that, uh, Prince al Saud. Text messages produ- produced during the legal fight showed that co-investors did little analysis th- of their own, deferring instead to Musk. If you are considering equity partners, my growth fund is in for $250 million with no additional work required. Now, here we also have to take a step back because that's designed to sound really terrible and arguably it is. But for the most part big money moves around financing mergers acquisitions early stage companies whatever it might be on a syndicate kind of principle you depend on some kind of leader some kind of member of management in this case like elon musk or some kind of venture fund or capital fund of some other kind that is going to do the due diligence is going to lead the process and that you basically tag along with people that you trust because none of these funds none of the movie Uh, money in America or elsewhere has the ability to do all the diligence required for every possible company that could otherwise benefit their money. So you get these syndicates, you get people that trust, and then you have a leader. Now here, Elon Musk didn't appear to do much, if any, due diligence. These other financiers didn't do any diligence on Musk, and the banks just went along with him, which means that you've got a whole lot of people investing a whole lot of money in a company that doesn't have an obvious profit mechanism, Remember, Twitter has a whole sort of cash flow problems that they've otherwise uh, intubated in their financial reports and otherwise, and now it's all problematic. Elon Musk tries to pull out of the deal. That obviously doesn't work. And then we get a little bit more detail, again, probably from a Twitter source uh, based on what Ars Technica is saying here, but everything is anonymously sourced, so we have to take that with a grain of salt. In the days after Twitter's lawsuit, the dealmakers advising Musk pushed him to explore a settlement to avoid a prolonged public legal battle, according to people briefed on the matter. Who are they? We don't know. But Musk had no interest in securing a discount. At that stage, Musk was only listening to Alex Spiro, a brash litigator from Quinn Emanuel, better known for his celebrity client list than his experience in complex merger and acquisition battles. Spiro alienated Musk's other advisors to the point where they could barely talk to him. Two of the people said, Who are those people? What is their agenda in this? It's unknown, but you're now starting to get, at least as Ars Technica puts it, a bit of a picture. Elon Musk could have pursued a discount. That's what a lot of us thought he was trying to do in the middle of the summer. He didn't want to do that. In private, Musk's deal advisors reached out to Twitter's team to explore whether there was a compromise to be struck. There seemed to be room to maneuver on price. Twitter was willing to compromise in order to close the deal quickly, but Musk rejected the idea on the advice of Spiro two people said. So these are people with the bone to pick with this particular advisor, Alex Spiro. We don't know the context of there, but we do know that Elon Musk didn't appear to negotiate price at any point in time. And when he comes back to the table to finish his deal, it's at the same price that he was otherwise fighting over. We have Ars Technica kind of editorializing a lot in this article, but here a little bit, saying that the whistleblower never amounted to anything with respect to Elon Musk's claims. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. We didn't go through a litigation here. And the deal, when it comes back together this month, has not been properly explained by anyone. Or as Ars Technica puts it, Musk has not explained his abrupt U-turn, but his legal team has gained, had gained little traction in pretrial battles, which is what we identified. They weren't having a lot of luck with the judge or with the early evidentiary fights, and that might have tipped the scales a little bit. Whatever the final straw, Musk realized that there was minimal chance for him to prevail in court, maybe. And by that point, Twitter had no interest in a discounted price. Three people said. Again, not even bothering to source what roles or what side these people might be talking from. On October 4th, Musk told the Delaware court in a letter that he intended to close the transaction. We've got a video on that. Twitter pushed for legal protections to ensure the deal closed. Here's an interesting one. Team Musk, meanwhile, wanted to reserve the right to sue Twitter's executives. Now this is an odd ask in a transaction, right? Generally speaking, management is not going to be so terribly inclined to enter into a deal or ancillary document or other arrangement that says, yes, of course, we'll take on this massive liability. You can sue us after the deal is closed. Generally speaking, everybody's trying to get out of there with the clothes on their back and aren't gonna allow these kinds of things. But it does help to explain another part of this story, which is that one of the things that has come out in the past few days is that not only did Elon Musk fire upper management at Twitter, but the rumors, the whispers now, are that he fired them for cause. Which is a legal term of art that means in your contract you have certain rights to continue your employment and if you get fired without cause if they just say hey you know what this isn't working out good luck to you which is primarily how these contracts are arranged in america they are at will insofar as the company itself can say let's go a different direction in that particular circumstance high level executive agreements will have something that says you get a bunch of money you get a bunch of money in this case on a change of control you get a bunch of money for getting fired within 12 months after a change of control we call that a double trigger uh type of payment but in this particular case elon musk has apparently asserted that they breached some obligation that was in their contracts that we can't see so that analysis might have to wait until more leaks out but by doing so he really was very very aggressive towards his predecessor managers at twitter and potentially costing them millions and millions of dollars. In that particular circumstance, we can anticipate that that's the kind of thing where you go and sit in front of a lawyer. If you're the old CEO and you get fired for cause and you wanna have a discussion about what you could potentially earn if you win a lawsuit against your old employer, well, you're gonna find out that that's potentially a lot of money, which can pay for a lot of legal fees. And in that particular circumstance, I would imagine that you might be seeing those lawsuits relatively soon. But if Elon Musk is sitting there at the end of all things at the negotiating table in October saying, we want to reserve the right to sue you. Well, then you can see there's a certain level of both emotionality and passion in this particular regard, and also kind of animus, a little bit of anger towards those executives. And we'll also see in tweets that Elon has put out over the past couple of days that that is shown as well. While some legal experts were surprised that the Delaware court ordered the deal to go through by the 28th or come to litigation, the judge's decision proved consequential. The deal closed on the original terms without a trial. Twitter's hefty legal bills, which could approach $100 million, must be paid out for of the cash flows of the company Musk now controls. And this is another part of this story that I think people uh, either find confusing or at least interesting about it. Elon Musk now owns Twitter which means he takes on all the liabilities that Twitter had, including those liabilities associated with fighting him and other communications that Twitter had with its own lawyers. Twitter didn't change. All that changed was the ownership, the management of the company. Twitter as a box of assets and liabilities stayed the same. It just changed hands, which means Elon Musk now owns all of that. Ars Technica finishes with happy Twitter people. The system worked. The modern technology of murder agreements in Delaware law were very much vindicated. Perhaps we didn't actually have to go through the entire lawsuit, but it did force Elon Musk to purchase the company. So I can see why you would think that on the Twitter side of things. Now we can look at a few other aspects of this deal and what's happened specifically over the last couple of days. Here's the National Rue. A review, Elon Musk is the captain now, which frames their story as Elon Musk dissolves board of directors, appoints himself sole director. And that is in fact the case. He dissolved Twitter's board and appointed himself the company's sole director. And he announced some antics with respect to blue check marks. Now, it might not all be that exciting when you take a public company that has a number of members of its board of directors and you take that company private. Well, you make a number of changes. Here's the security filings. And I'm sorry it's so small. We can see if we can zoom this in a little bit for you all. But one of those changes that you make is that the board goes away. On October 27th, 2022, and as a result of the consummation of the merger, Mr. Musk became the sole director of Twitter in accordance with the terms of the merger agreement, effective as of the effective time of the merger. The following persons who were directors of Twitter prior to the effective time of the merger are no longer directors of Twitter, all of the people that were previously on the board. And there are other things here. There's notes outstanding that Twitter holds that have a change of control provision, so they have to make an offer to buy those back out. We don't know what will happen with that debt. Uh, But there's all sorts of things that we're not going to go into in too great a detail because it doesn't really matter. And it's all very dry. We like to talk about mergers and acquisitions here, but some of it really is just dotting I's and crossing T's. So National Review says, hey, he dissolved his board. He's the captain now. And also, he's thinking about doing something very interesting that was announced yesterday. Musk announced that Twitter was contemplating revamping its entire approach to the blue verification badges on Twitter. And this was then followed up on. In an article in The Verge entitled, Twitter is planning to start charging $20 per month for verification. Those blue check marks that you see on various journalistic outlets. We look at National Review, it's this blue check mark right here. And he's thinking about no longer offering those for free, but instead charging for them. And then The Verge adds this little bit of color. If the employees building it don't meet their deadline, they'll be fired by Elon Musk. That's interesting. Now that he owns Twitter, says The Verge, Elon Musk has given employees their first ultimatum. Meet his deadline to introduce paid verification on Twitter or pack up and leave. The directive is to change Twitter blue, the company's optional $5 a month subscription that unlocks additional features into a more expensive subscription that also verifies users, according to people familiar with the matter, and internal correspondence seen by The Verge. So they have a leaker at Twitter. Under the current plan, verified users would have 90 days to subscribe or lose their blue checkmark. Employees working on the project were told on Sunday that they need to meet a deadline of November 7th to launch the feature or they will be fired. On Sunday, he tweeted the whole verification process is being revamped right now. And then there's other changes that he has made. But let's talk about this one first and foremost, right? The verification checkmark on Twitter and other social media platforms, if you are watching this on YouTube, you will be able to see that Hogwa has a verification check from YouTube to indicate that it's actually me when I'm otherwise commenting or participating in their ecosystem. Now, why is that important? Well, I don't need a checkmark of any color, blue or otherwise, in order to verify my self-worth. But... There were people on YouTube, as a for instance, that were going around with my name asking folks to put in their information in WhatsApp and generally looking like they were about to defraud the people that comment on my videos. So I said, YouTube, this is unacceptable. We can't have this kind of fraud going around. We need to be able to make a differentiation. And YouTube, to their credit, got me a check mark in something like three hours when that was happening. And I was able to show them photographic proof of people asking for that information. I think that's a perfectly valid way of treating your verification system. This person is actually this person. We need to differentiate between this people and bad actors. And that makes sense. Twitter has treated their verification check mark a little bit differently. It isn't just simply, hey, this is me. I can prove it. Give me a check mark. It's instead become a kind of status symbol in that ecosystem. And Elon Musk, I think to his credit, understands that. And if you go on Twitter today, you'll find people arguing for, oh, it used to mean something and now it'll just mean payment. And that's that's true. Uh, but it wasn't really supposed to mean anything. It wasn't supposed to mean, I am special, you should listen to me. And even though I know enough blue check marks to know that there are additional technological features on Twitter for people that have those check marks, it really wasn't supposed to be this kind of members-only area. And so Elon Musk saying, well, you're going to have to pay for that privilege, Makes sense for trying to monetize the system but you do wonder whether it will succeed at all because once everybody knows that the only way to keep your check mark and again they're going to lose their checkmarks if this all goes through if they don't pay the pound of flesh to twitter within 90 days of this program being started then it's obvious to everybody whether you have a check mark or not that the only people that are paying for it are those that are paying for it for prestige it's available to anybody to buy It's a little bit unclear what the details are here because it only talks about verified users, which are already in existence. So one aspect of this that might be happening is that Elon Musk is saying, well, those are the super users. Those are the people that really depend on Twitter. Let's go wring some money from that particular stone and then move on to other available options. It is entirely unknown what this will actually mean in practice, but there's a lot of rending of garments and gnashing of teeth On twitter on the social media platform right now for people that could potentially lose their check mark now the one thing i will say if i'm twitter is i'm concerned a little bit about that fraud concept right if somebody comes to you doesn't want to pay you 20 dollars for what amounts to a protection fee and other people are otherwise trading on their name and twitter knows it and is informed about it in email after email or otherwise Well, then you can potentially get a certain amount of exposure or liability. If you're a platform, you know somebody is out there defrauding folks and the person that is otherwise having their good name tarnished is telling you this. You have a mechanism to help them and you don't give it to them because you'd like to extract a pound of flesh. Well, I could see a case being made on that basis, right? A case led perhaps in a class action kind of context where you say, look, you know how to help these people. YouTube does it, Facebook does it, other people do it with verification, you refuse to do it because you're not getting paid, you start to look like the mafia at that point rather than a social media platform. And I think a well-intentioned, good litigator could present that case and maybe have some success against a company like Twitter. So there's already things that feel like they aren't going through the full vetting process. Right? elon musk has owned this company for less than a week less than half a week and you're seeing these major things go through or attempt to go through and it's unclear whether they've been fully thought out yes he wants to make money he's got billions of dollars that are now leveraging his company to the hilt but is this the right kind of way leave your comments below i have my doubts Even though he is barely three days into being chief twit when this article was written, Musk has moved quickly to make changes to Twitter, first by changing its homepage for logged out users. With the help of Tesla engineers, he has brought into Twitter as advisors. He's also planning mass layoffs aimed at middle managers and engineers who haven't recently contributed to the code base. He's trying to, what you might call in an acquisition like this, cut out the fat. Cut out those managers that are only managers and try to get down to the kind of metal, if you will, of programming this particular platform. Whether that works or not, I have no idea. Those cuts are expected to begin this week with managers already creating lists of employees to cut. Employees tasked with executing projects of Musk since he took control Thursday evening have been working late into the night and over the weekend. Musk is keen on growing subscriptions to become half of the company's overall revenue. And then finally, you have this little note: Do you have, do do you work at Twitter? Do you have any idea what's happening at Twitter? Send us uh, send us some information. And one of the things that you're seeing in all of these articles coming out and all of this reporting being done is that Twitter is a leaky ship. That Twitter is a ship with employees that are fully willing to leak to what they think are friendly outlets right now as Elon Musk, the Genghis Khan figure of this particular story, goes forth and cuts employees and asks for ridiculous things, et cetera, et cetera. So one thing I would advise is as you read these articles, understand that primarily they're going to be sourced by employees that aren't happy with the direction that Elon Musk is seeking to take the company. That might be great for you. That might be what you're against. You might be entirely in favor of Elon Musk. That doesn't matter. It's just important to understand that when you see these articles, what you're looking at Are leaks coming from inside the company from a very specific type of person in all likelihood? And those are people that disagree with the direction things are headed. Now, we're not done yet, folks, not by a long shot. Elon Musk also, in the last 24 hours, has been tweeting very interesting things about what he has found with his new cache of assets that he purchased within Twitter. Here he says, Wachtell, which was Twitter's counsel, their lawyers, and Twitter board deliberately hid this evidence from the court. Stay tuned, more to come. Yoel Roth has a slack, has an internal communication of some kind that says, but also, LOL, if Amir continues to BS me, my escalation route is Amir's OKRs are entirely based on fraudulent metrics, and he doesn't care and may actively be trying to hide the ball, literally doing what Elon is accusing us of doing. Now, Elon Musk is putting this out there in public. So the one thing you can usually assume, maybe not applicable to Elon Musk, is that this will not form the foundation of a lawsuit, a litigation, or other action because you tweeted it out first and everybody can see and react to this. I can look at it and say, well, you're trying to say that Yoel is doing some kind of admission against personal interest and is saying, look, they're fraudulent metrics. What I actually see here is a kind of disgruntled executive saying, I'll just tell them that you're faking everything if you continue to BS me, right? And that's not great. You don't want that in text. It also doesn't really prove your case, Elon Musk. Then we have an individual Twitter user by the name of Liz Wheeler who says that isn't surprising. Yoel Roth is a nasty individual, should have been the first person fired, once called Trump actual Nazis and a racist tangerine, and used his opinion to justify censoring Trump's tweets. And then Elon Musk says something interesting for those that are kind of on the political bandwagons here. Elon says, we've all made some questionable tweets, me more than most. He's paid a lot of money for some of his tweets. But I want to be clear that I support Yoel. My sense is that he has high integrity and we are all entitled to our political beliefs. Remember, Elon Musk took over this company at least ostensibly with notions of extreme free speech, which if followed to their logical ends, should allow for different political beliefs and even angry different political beliefs. So this is a very interesting tweet from yesterday that people who are looking for Elon Musk to descend from the mountain and just make Twitter really ultra right or conservative or whatever you most fear in the world, are probably not looking at that. The thing about Elon Musk that I've noticed in covering him for basically the entire year now is that he is legitimately a wild card. I cannot promise you that all of his positions are fully well thought out, but he seems to approach these from at least an ostensibly neutral viewpoint at most points in time when he's not otherwise trolling. On Twitter. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I also saw other people asking Does he really have access to these DMs and potentially communications with legal counsel? The answer is for the most part, yes. If you go and you look at Delaware law, Twitter as an entity continued to exist. It didn't change hands. This wasn't what we call an asset purchase where you have to move each individual asset over to the new owner. Instead, the equity ownership of the company changed, which means As far as Twitter is concerned, nothing happened. It's just different shareholders that have different access to the data. So for the most part, Elon Musk has access to all the communications that Twitter entered into, and that might be the way to fire people for cause. It might be the way to bring in further litigation. It might be the way to fight other aspects of the deal, seek indemnification, breach a contract, whatever it might be. Clearly, he and his team are going through everything that they now have access to on the Twitter side of things, which is in of itself pretty interesting. Now, we have another Ars Technica article here, which is a little bit of a different slant on what's happening over there. We get Ars Technica realistically advocating for curtailment of speech. Now, they're a journalistic outlet. I don't understand this argument particularly well. We'll talk about it when we get there. But they are pining on Mr. Musk here tweeting out what they deem to be misinformation. Musk jokes about his deleted tweet sharing misinformation on Pelosi attack. And I know a number of you have asked me to comment on that I still don't think there's good enough information on any side to really offer additional commentary. All I would ever warn folks on that kind of thing, a developing story with political overtones, is to be careful and to know that there's a lot of people that are going to have a lot of slants uh, and they're going to take little bits of information and apply it in different ways. Here Ars Technica says, Musk's tweet came amid a wave of online chatter discussing what happened when an accused intruder, David Wayne DePape, broke into House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's house, attacked her now hospitalized husband Paul with a hammer, which is a horrible attack, and screamed out, where's Nancy? Hillary Clinton joined others in tweeting critically of the Republican Party, which she accused of inciting violence by spreading deranged conspiracy theories. Clinton's tweet prompted Musk to link Clinton to an article from a weekly newspaper known to publish fake news the Santa Monica Observer, which, according to the New York Times, reported false allegations suggesting that Paul Pelosi knew his attacker. Overlooking the dubious news source, Musk repeated those false allegations, telling Clinton and his millions of followers that there is a tiny possibility there might be more to this story than meets the eye. And here's where we get into these really fundamental areas of discussion of freedom of speech and whatnot. Ars Technica, doesn't have anything better to go on on this particular statement of misinformation, disinformation, or what have you, uh, than Elon Musk realistically does. And Elon Musk likes to poke people in the eye. And I have no doubt that there is false information being passed around on this attack and others all across the internet. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there isn't misinformation out there. What I am going to tell you is that by the time Ars Technica gets to a paragraph that says, It's this kind of disinformation cycle that the European Union is attempting to break through its Digital Services Act. You've lost the plot for me. They describe that act as a landmark law that could impose heavy fines on Twitter if the platform under Musk doesn't maintain compliance with the industry standards the law sets for content moderation. This phrase is nonsense. Uh, A a law setting specific standards is not an industry standard. That's a legal standard. Uh, And when you start talking about what the European Union is doing, they've obviously already jumped in concerned about Elon Musk's ownership of Twitter. But honestly, as an American citizen, I'm not a particularly large fan of the way that the European Union and the European Commission and all the various other European regulatory bodies deal with language and free speech one of the reasons we left to be honest and so ars technica coming out with this is is interesting next paragraph due to musk's views on free speech european union regulators have already begun pressing musk on the point even before he tweeted the misinformation about the pelosi attack now again i don't mind you saying it's likely misinformation it's alleged misinformation all you really have to go on is the new york times report and another source saying is known for publishing false allegations and things like that fair enough But I'd be a little bit more reluctant if I were counsel to Ars Technica to go out here and claim one way or the other on these types of things. Reuters reported that last week Musk promised the European Commission that Twitter would comply with the DSA, which isn't the kind of thing that you can comply with just yet. It doesn't go into effect for a couple of years, and it's going to require regulations and laws to actually be passed in the member countries. There's a whole thing. In the coming weeks, Musk will meet with the EU industry chief, Terry Breton, seemingly to address Breton's concerns about how Musk might be planning to change Twitter content moderation. And in the meantime, he's a troll and he tweets out, hey, that New York Times headline is fake. I did not tweet out a link to the New York Times, implying that it's in fact the New York Times that is known to publish false news. Hmm. Reasonable minds can differ on this kind of thing. Certainly every masthead that I've ever looked at has at least once or twice published a little bit of falsity to go with hopefully all that truth content they are putting out there. But he's a troll. This is how Elon Musk interacts with these various places. And to some extent, when you're looking at Ars Technica saying, you better start following the European Union, I can't really blame you. He aimed much of his criticism at traditional media, though not mentioning how fake news can incite even seemingly savvy Twitter users to contribute to disinformation spread, just like the story Musk linked and then deleted. And again, Question mark, question mark, question mark. I have no idea what direction that story is going to go. And honestly, Ars Technica doesn't either. They link to the DSA. They get quotes from the EU that says the DSA shows that online platforms cannot do whatever they like and that they do not unilaterally set the terms of what users can or cannot see with the underlying implication being that's our job. The European Union is the one in charge of unilaterally setting the terms of what users can see or not see. You can see why I have my pauses here. Regulators will also include an emergency mechanism to force platforms to disclose what steps they are taking to tackle misinformation or propaganda in light of COVID-19 and the war in Ukraine. And of course, Wikipedia reports on this as you would expect. Media reactions to the Digital Services Act have been generally positive. Folks, this is just the start of the Elon Musk owning Twitter era but there's already been so many hot takes, so many weak takes, so many more takes that I could have possibly imagined on this. It's no surprise that Ars Technica or the Washington Post likes the European Union coming down on tech platforms, as I've said a lot here in this space in virtual legality. The honest to God fight between platforms and government is not Democrat, is not Republican, is not Tory or liberal or anything else that you can come up with as a party name in the European Union or elsewise. It is effectively government And communication control against tech platforms and their communication providing. Whether or not you fall on one end of the spectrum of politics or the other, that is the fight of the future. And it looks like the European Union is going to use the Musk purchase of Twitter to have that fight a little bit more publicly. Whether that works for you is going to be an open question, but I can tell you it's definitely going to give us a lot of content to cover here in Virtual Legality. If you like talking about the business and law of software technology, social media platforms, Elon Musk video games, or more, as I said at the top, please consider supporting the channel through YouTube or Patreon, or just subscribing and telling your friends that we're having these conversations. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.